Day five of Totus Tuus's Novena for the Church in Europe, with quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Exhortation, Ecclesia in Europa. The power of the proclamation of the gospel of hope will be all the more effective if it is linked to the witness of a profound unity and communion in the Church. The individual particular churches. Cannot face alone the challenge before them. There is need for genuine cooperation between all the particular churches of the continent, as an expression of their essential communion. A cooperation which is also called for by the new reality of Europe. Here mention must be made of the contribution offered by continental ecclesial bodies, beginning with the Council of European Episcopal Conferences. The Council is an effective means for exploring together appropriate ways of evangelizing Europe. Through an exchange of gifts between the various particular churches, the experiences and the reflections of Western and Eastern, Northern and Southern Europe are shared, and common pastoral approaches emerge. The Council is becoming an increasingly significant expression of the collegial sentiment linking the bishops of the continent. Aimed at proclaiming together, boldly and faithfully, the name of Jesus Christ, the sole source of hope for everyone in Europe. The duty of fraternal and committed ecumenical cooperation also emerges as an irrevocable imperative. The future of evangelization is closely linked to the witness of unity given by all Christ's followers. All Christians are called to carry out this mission in accordance with their vocation. The task of evangelization involves moving towards one another and moving forward together as Christians, and it must begin from within. Evangelization and unity, evangelization and ecumenism, are indissolubly linked. Therefore, I once again make my own. The words written by Paul VI to Ecumenical Patriarch Athanagoras I. May the Holy Spirit guide us along the way of reconciliation, so that the unity of our churches may become an ever more radiant sign of hope and consolation for all mankind. As is the case with the overall commitment to the new evangelization, so too proclaiming the gospel of hope. Calls for the establishment of a profound and perceptive interreligious dialogue, particularly with Judaism and with Islam. Understood as a method and means of mutual knowledge and enrichment, dialogue is not in opposition to the mission agentes. Indeed, it has special links with that mission, and is one of its expressions. Engagement in this dialogue must avoid yielding to a widespread indifferentism. Which, sad to say, is found also among Christians. It is often based on incorrect theological perspectives, and is characterized by a religious relativism, which leads to the belief that one religion is as good as another. It is rather a matter of being more vividly aware of the relationship which binds the Church to the Jewish people, and of Israel's unique role in salvation history. As was already clear from the first special assembly for Europe at the Synod of Bishops, and was reaffirmed in the latest Synod, there is need for acknowledgement of the common roots linking Christianity and the Jewish people, 
who are called by God to a covenant which remains irrevocable and has attained definitive fullness in Christ. Consequently, it is necessary to encourage dialogue with Judaism, knowing that it is fundamentally important for the self-knowledge of Christians and for the transcending of divisions between the churches, and to work for the flowering of a new springtime in mutual relations. This demands that each ecclesial community engage, to the extent that circumstances permit, in dialogue and cooperation with believers of the Jewish religion. This engagement also implies that acknowledgement be given to any part which the children of the Church have had in the growth and spread of anti-Semitism in history. Forgiveness must be sought for this from God, and every effort must be made to favour encounters of reconciliation and of friendship with the sons of Israel. It will likewise be appropriate to mention the many Christians who, sometimes at the cost of their lives, helped and saved, especially in times of persecution, these their elder brethren. It is also a question of growing in knowledge of other religions, in order to establish a fraternal conversation with their members who live in today's Europe. A proper relationship with Islam is particularly important. As has often become evident in recent years to the bishops of Europe, this needs to be conducted prudently, with clear ideas about possibilities and limits, and with confidence in God's saving plan for all his children. It is also necessary to take into account the notable gap between European culture with its profound Christian roots and Muslim thought. In this regard, Christians living in daily contact with Muslims should be properly trained in an objective knowledge of Islam and enabled to draw comparisons with their own faith. Such training should be provided particularly to seminarians, priests and all pastoral workers. It is on the other hand understandable that the Church even as she asks the European institutions to ensure the promotion of religious freedom in Europe, should feel the need to insist that reciprocity in guaranteeing that religious freedom also be observed in countries of different religious traditions, where Christians are a minority. In this context, one can understand the astonishment and the feeling of frustration of Christians who welcome, for example in Europe, believers of other religions, giving them the possibility of exercising their worship, and who see themselves forbidden all exercise of Christian worship in countries where those believers are in the majority and have made their own religion the only one admitted and promoted. The human person has a right to religious freedom, and all people in every part of the world should be immune from coercion on the part of individuals, social groups, and every human power. The proclamation of Jesus Christ must also reach contemporary European culture. The evangelization of culture must show that in today's Europe too, it is possible to live the gospel fully as a path which gives meaning to existence. To this end, pastoral practice must undertake the task of shaping a Christian mentality in ordinary life, in families, in schools, in social communications, in cultural life, in the workplace, in the economy, in politics, in leisure time, in health and in sickness. 
What is needed is a calm, critical assessment of the current cultural situation of Europe, and an evaluation of the emerging trends and the more significant contemporary events and situations, in the light of the centrality of Christ and of Christian anthropology. Today, too, in recalling Christianity's contributions to culture throughout the history of Europe, there is a need to demonstrate the gospel approach, both theoretical and practical. To reality and to man himself. Furthermore, considering the great importance of the sciences and technological achievements in European culture and society, the Church, through both her institutes of study and in her practical pastoral initiatives, is called to be constructive in her approach to scientific knowledge and its applications, pointing out the insufficiency and inadequacy of notions inspired by a scientism. Which recognizes only experimental knowledge as objectively valid, and presenting ethical criteria, which man possesses as inscribed in his very nature. An important part of any program for the evangelization of culture is the service rendered by Catholic schools. There is a need to ensure the recognition of a genuine freedom of education, and equal juridical standing between state schools and other schools. Catholic schools are sometimes the sole means by which the Christian tradition can be presented to those who are distant from it. I encourage the faithful involved in the field of primary and secondary education to persevere in their mission, and to bring the light of Christ the Saviour to bear upon their specific educational, scientific, and academic activities. In particular, greater recognition is due to the contribution made by Christians who conduct research. And teach in universities. In their service to thought, they hand down to the next generation the values of an intellectual tradition enriched by two thousand years of humanistic and Christian experience. Convinced of the importance of academic institutions, I also ask the various local churches to promote an adequate pastoral care of the university community, favouring whatever corresponds to present cultural needs. Nor should we overlook the positive contribution made by the wise use of the cultural treasures of the church. These can be a special element in the rekindling of a humanism of Christian inspiration. When properly preserved and intelligently used, these living testimonies of the faith, as professed down the ages, can prove a useful resource for the new evangelization and for catechesis, and lead to a rediscovery of the sense of mystery. At the same time, new artistic expressions of the faith should be promoted through a constant dialogue with those engaged in the arts. The church, in fact, needs art—literature, music, painting, sculpture, and architecture—because she must make perceptible, and as far as possible, attractive, the world of the spirit, of the invisible, of God, and because artistic beauty. As a sort of echo of the spirit of God, is a symbol pointing to the mystery, an invitation to seek out the face of God, made visible in Jesus of Nazareth. I encourage the Church in Europe to give greater attention to the training of young people in the faith. As we look to the future, we cannot but think of them. We need to make contact with their minds. Their hearts and the character of the young, in order to provide them with a sound human and Christian formation. 
wherever many young people are present, it is hard not to perceive the wide variety of their attitudes and approaches. We can see their desire to be together and to come out of their isolation, and their thirst, recognized in differing degrees, for the absolute. We see in them a secret faith needing to be purified and desirous of following the Lord. We become aware of their decision to continue the journey already begun and the need to share their faith. To this end, there is need for a renewed youth ministry organized by age groups and attentive to the varying situations of children, adolescents and young adults. It will also be necessary to provide this ministry with a more organic structure and consistency and to be patiently concerned with the questions raised by young people in order to make them protagonists of the evangelization and the building of society. In this process, opportunities should be provided for encounter among young people so as to foster a climate of mutual listening and prayer. There is no need to fear making demands upon them with regard to their spiritual growth. The way of holiness should be pointed out to them, and they should be encouraged to make demanding choices in their following of Jesus, drawing their strength from an intense sacramental life. In this way they will learn to resist the enticements of a culture which often proposes values which are merely superficial or even contrary to the gospel, and become capable of demonstrating a Christian approach to every sphere of human life, including entertainment and leisure. I can still see clearly the joyful faces of so many young people, the true hope of the church and of the world, and an eloquent sign of the Spirit who unceasingly causes new energies to arise. I have met them during my travels to various countries, and during the unforgettable World Youth Days. Given the importance of the means of social communication, the Church in Europe must necessarily pay particular attention to the multifaceted world of the mass media. This would include, among other things, the adequate training of Christians who work in the field of communications, and of those who make use of the media, for a better understanding of the new kinds of language employed in the media. Special attention should be given to choosing properly trained persons to communicate the message through the media. It would also prove very helpful to have an exchange of information and of strategies between the churches about different aspects and initiatives concerning this communication. Nor should the creation of local instruments of social communications be neglected, also on the parish level. At the same time, it is a matter of becoming involved in the processes of social communications in order to make them more respectful of the truth of information and of the dignity of the human person. In this regard, I invite Catholics to contribute to the establishment of a code of ethics for those who work in the field of social communications, letting themselves be guided by the criteria which the competent agencies of the Holy See have recently indicated and which the bishops and synod have listed as follows. Respect for the dignity of the human person, for his or her rights, including the right of privacy. Service to truth, to justice, and to human, cultural and spiritual values. Respect for diverse cultures to avoid their disappearance within the majority. 
protection of minority groups and of the weak, pursuit of the common good, over and above particular interests, and the predominance of economic criteria alone. A proclamation of Jesus Christ and his gospel, limited to the European context alone, would betray symptoms of a disturbing lack of hope. The work of evangelization is animated by true Christian hope when it is open to universal horizons, which lead us to offer freely to all what we ourselves have received as gift. In this way, the mission agentes becomes an expression of a church shaped by the gospel of hope, which is continually renewed and rejuvenated. Down the centuries, this has been part of the self-awareness of the church in Europe. Countless hosts of missionaries, going forth to meet other races and other civilizations, have proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to the peoples of the whole world. The same missionary ardor must animate the church in Europe today. The decrease in the numbers of priests and of consecrated men and women in some countries must not prevent any particular church from making its own the needs of the universal church. Every church will find a way to prepare its faithful for the mission agentes, and thus respond with generosity to the appeal of many peoples and nations which desire to know the gospel. The churches of other continents, particularly Asia and Africa, still look to the churches in Europe and expect them to continue to carry out their missionary vocation. Christians in Europe cannot be unfaithful to their own history. As I stepped through the holy door at the beginning of the great jubilee of the year 2000, I held high the book of the Gospels, showing it to the church and to the world. This same ritual action, carried out by all the bishops in the different cathedrals of the world, points to the task awaiting the church of our continent now and forever. Church in Europe, enter the new millennium with a book of the Gospels. May every member of the faithful hear the Council's plea to learn the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ by frequent reading the Divine Scriptures. Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. May the Holy Bible continue to be a treasure for the Church and for every Christian. In the careful study of God's Word, we will daily find nourishment and strength to carry out our mission. Let us take up this book. Let us receive it from the Lord, who continually offers it to us through His Church. Let us devour it, so that it can become our very life. Let us savour it deeply. It will make demands on us but it will give us joy, because it is sweet as honey. Filled with hope, we will be able to share it with every man and woman whom we encounter on our way. Let us pray. Mary, Mother of Hope, walk with us. Teach us to proclaim the living God. Help us to witness to Jesus, the only Saviour. Make us helpful towards our neighbours, welcoming to the needy, 
workers for justice, impassioned builders of a more just world. Intercede for us as we carry out our work in history, certain that the Father's plan will be accomplished. Dawn of a new world, show yourself mother of hope and watch over us. Watch over the church in Europe that she may be transparent to the gospel, that she may be an authentic place of communion, living out her mission of announcing, celebrating and serving the gospel of hope for the peace and joy of everyone. Queen of Peace, protect humanity in the third millennium. Watch over all Christians. May they advance confidently on the path of unity as a leaven for the harmony of the continent. Watch over young people, the hope of the future. May they respond generously to the call of Jesus. Watch over the leaders of nations. May they be committed to building a common home in which the dignity and rights of every person are respected. Mary, give us Jesus. Help us to follow him and love him. He is the hope of the Church, of Europe and of all humanity. He lives with us, in our midst, in his Church. With you we say, Come, Lord Jesus. May the hope of glory, which he has poured into our hearts, bear fruits of justice and peace. Amen. St. Benedict, pray for us. St. Bridget of Sweden, pray for us. St. Catherine of Siena, pray for us. St. Cyril and Methodius, pray for us. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.